Hey, welcome to the Remo Tlale Life and Faith Podcast, a long-form podcast designed to help you thrive in your life as well as in your faith. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Uh, so grateful that uh, you decided to join us. Uh, and today is one of those special days where we get to have a, um, kind of a part two, a follow-up of a conversation that we began last week. Uh, so I'd love to encourage you that if you haven't been able to listen to uh, the previous episode, uh, please go back and listen to it because this will make sense in context of that of that episode. Uh, and we have James Lapperman back on the podcast to be able to give us his great insights and depth uh, around church history. So, uh, James, welcome back. Thank you so much for for last time. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I was, man, I was, uh, it felt like I was drinking from a fountain, uh, but the fountain that was probably bigger than what I could take in at the time. So I really, really appreciated, appreciated it and appreciate you coming back on uh, to be with us on the podcast. Amen. Uh, well, listen, thanks. Thanks again for, for, for having me. And it, uh, uh, I mean, lovely, lovely subject matter to talk about and, and, and appreciate the, the opportunity to, to share some of my, yeah, just some of my, my learnings. Uh, I mean, uh, nothing, nothing here, you know, wasn't taught to me in some form or another by a teacher, by a book, um, by some of my own studying. Um, and, uh, but I guess as always, one, one applies, one applies your own lens to it, you know, and, and yeah. definitely, yeah. definitely open to, to other interpretations and other views. So, um, yeah, yeah. but, uh, um, yeah, grateful to be here again. Awesome. Yeah, that's a good disclaimer. I know you, you made the disclaimer at the beginning of the last last podcast as well. And I thought we did a great job kind of starting off with, you know, how history is taught, where it comes from, some of the lenses that can can be there. And, and for people to be clear that this is just, you know, one man's understanding. Uh, this is not the, the be all and end all. It's not it's not fact necessarily, but this is just your understanding of the journey. Uh, and we got through a, a huge chunk of history mm. last time as we got, we got to chat. We got all the way up to Martin Luther. Uh, and the Reformation. Uh, yes. So, so that's where we'll pick up. And again, I want to encourage people, man. If you haven't listened to to what we spoke about before uh, before this point, please go back and listen to that because it, again, it won't make sense without that context. Uh, but but yeah, let's let's jump right back in at, at Martin Luther and the Reformation, James, and, and take it away. Alrighty. Well, so as we as we kind of talk about um, essentially what starts to move into modern Christianity as we know it now. Uh, there, there's two things, I guess there's two things to think about. The one is what happened um, in terms of what we understand that happened in the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther, and, and we'll talk about that briefly. But then there's also an, another line of um, understanding, which is kind of in general, what do we notice about church history and um, kind of the evolution and the ebbs and flows of Christianity and, and of the church. And I think there's a lot for us to learn about that even today uh, as we look back at the last few hundred years. And so I think with, with Protestantism, where we, where we left off was this idea that Martin Luther was one of a number of people, um, Zwingli and um, Calvin are ones that come to mind, all kind of geographically in a similar place, actually, or kind of around Germany and France and what have you, uh, Switzerland. And they, um, they, they, they weren't happy with the status quo. They picked up on a number of things that we discussed last time. And so they, in, in essence, kind of broke away and reinterpreted what the, the church is supposed to believe, what Christians are supposed to believe, and how they're supposed to live out their faith. And so you had this, this split that, that happened over a period of, of, of years, over generations. Obviously, um, you know, those churches evolved themselves. But there were big theological questions that were being asked. I mean, big things around atonement. Like, how do you get right with God? Uh, and, you know, up until that point, the Catholic Church had a, a, a certain doctrine around forgiveness and who provides forgiveness and what needed to be forgiven and how that all worked. And Protestantism was like, okay, so how does, you know, how does this, this work if we, you know, if we, um, you know, if we think that, you know, our mother church in inverted comma um, had it wrong, what, what is right? And, and big issues that, that, that came out of that, and we're still dealing with that today is this idea of kind of faith alone. I think the, you know, the, the, there were so many kind of works-orientated aspects of um, the Catholic Church at the time where you, know, you had to 
Um, you know, if you had sinned in a certain way, you had to say a certain amount of prayers or in order to get your, you know, your, your family out of purgatory, you could pay money or you could work towards it. Or even, um, you know, the Crusades, you know, were, were um, it was a work in order to achieve a spiritual blessing. Um, as twisted as that is. And so what, what Protestantism was like, okay, let's remove all of that. And so you have this idea of, um, you know, sola fide, um, sola scriptura, you know, faith alone, and the Bible alone is the authority. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and really trying to, trying to, to, to work with that. And, and what I will say, though, is, you know, there was a claim um, and I think it was believed that we are going to go back to kind of apostolic um, teachings, you know, and, and apostolic theology. But, but essentially what, what a large portion of, of this was actually a response to what was happening in the church at the time. So, yes, there was a desire to go back to the apostles' teachings. Um, and that, that happened to a certain extent. But there was actually it was a, a reaction um, to to the legalism that um, that had happened and and look I, I also need to you can't emphasize more so much of the success of Protestantism at the time came from the let's just call it coincidence that the printing press was invented around the same time and so you know this idea of disseminating um, the Bible en masse um, you know coincided nicely because up until that point you know, the, the Bible was kind of held by the priests. You know, they, they were the only ones that were able to read and interpret and preach it. Uh, people didn't have a Bible lying next to their beds unless they were extremely wealthy. And, you know, the printing press allowed this kind of democratization of the Bible. Um, and that tied into this anti-establishment, anti-Catholic um, uh, uh, church um, sentiment that, that, that grew. And it created huge tension, huge tension. And, and wars were, were fought and people... People were killed in battles between Catholics and Protestants for many years after this. I mean, it's it's an embarrassment to Christianity, you know. But but yeah. but you know uh, uh, that that kind of happened. And so, um, but what you have? So you know, we mentioned last week. You know, there was this big um, kind of schism with the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and and. and Catholicism, and now you have this Protestant Reformation. But what you notice, if you look at like a church history tree, you'll see that after after um, Martin Luther, um, you know that's that tree just split and split and split. And so you know almost every kind of um, modern church um, uh, outside of Catholicism uh, can often be traced. Back to um, the, the the Protestant Reformation, but you know these these you know these splits happen, and so you've got your Methodists and your uh, uh, you know your Charismatic churches and your Evangelical churches and your um, Calvinist churches, and 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 you know uh, just um, this kind of perpetuation of different doctrines leading to um, new church movements uh, over the yeah. next few hundred years, leading up until uh, today, where we obviously. Um, we don't have one unified Christianity. We've got many Christianities, uh, and that's something hard for us to reconcile. It's like, okay, <laughs> who's in the one true church if there's so many different brands out there? I'm a, I'm a marketing guy, so, you know, it's like <laughs> church brands. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think that's, you know, that, you know, things definitely got complicated after Martin Luther. And, uh, you know, uh, my perspective now is I think there's a lot to like about Martin Luther and what he did and what he stood for and what he, you know, but there's also elements of his theology that we still, you know, they creep into our way of thinking um, in the 21st century that also are problematic. They aren't sourced mm -hmm. from the Bible. They're sourced from a reaction to Catholicism. Uh, and I think it yeah. can can get confusing for sure. Yeah. Sure. So can you just define for us what, Protestantism means, or what, what it means to be Protestant? Yes, I think, um, um, I mean, I'll have to kind of dig into my memory banks to think about the, the et etymology of the word, but, you know, I think the, yeah. you know, essentially it was, um, it was a, um, what's known as a reform movement, you know, so they talk about the Protestant Reformation. It wasn't the first reform movement, and it, it wasn't the last either. Um, and mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, I think it came from this idea of kind of protesting against, you know, and that there was a there was a kind of a swell that happened. Um, um, uh, but I could be I could be mistaken. I'd I'd, I'd have to to, to to look that up. But 
what kind of coming back to this idea of, of reform movements, what, what's important to understand is that there is a, there has been um, an ebb and flow, a sociological ebb and flow in the history of the Christian church, uh, really as, as, as far back as, as we can think. And you know, there's a number of sociologists. Uh, uh, the one that's most famous for this thinking uh, is a guy called Max Weber, Weber, as in the Bry, you know, um, and, yeah. and uh, you know, he's a sociologist, uh, an economist. And what, what he spoke about was this idea of um, reform movements. And uh, essentially what happens is a organization, and, and this isn't just Christianity, this happens in religion in general, uh, but let's just talk about Christianity. You'll have a church body that essentially has become um, um, uh, 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 quite um, uh, set in its ways. Um, it's got a certain amount of practices and principles. And what happens is at, at some point there's a tension where within the church, someone will look and say, wait a minute, God is bigger than this organization that we've created and we've boxed God in. And there will be a, a you know, let's just call it a reformation where someone, usually it's a person, a leader, stands up and um, uh, um, uh, essentially criticizes the group that they were a part of. And their preaching is coupled with success. So they say, hey, this is not the right way. This is the right way to do it. And people follow and they listen and they build up a following. And their, their authority comes not from the body from which they were a part. It comes from essentially what they would, you know, what would be seen as like a divine calling. Like God has called them. God is giving them authority to break the mold here. And what happens is they would then cause a split in the church. So the, you know, the existing church tends to stay and a group breaks away because they see the successful preacher. They're preaching with authority. Um, you know, they preach what, what they believe to be, um, you know, true. And, and, um, and there's a part, especially in young people that are very anti-establishment. And so they're like, man, you know, uh, 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 the establishment is holding us back. Let's break away. And so these, these, yeah. these movements tend to be quite young. And then they establish themselves as a separate entity. Okay, and there you have a church schism, a church split, and that's you know that's Martin Luther, right? You know he came yeah. and he, he created this this split. Um, but what I need to say is this: the sociological um, uh, forces at play mean that when that um, that leader either um, loses their job, does something wrong, or dies that movement that they started tends to become an institution again. So you've got this okay. process of, you know, charismatic authority, which is what it's called, you know, this divine authority from God where someone breaks away from the establishment, but eventually that establishment routinizes again and becomes an institution. And so if you've ever been into a Lutheran church or a Protestant, you know, a, a, a traditional Protestant church, you'll be like, man, is it that different from, from the Catholic church? And you can say, well, you know, they, they've both routinized, they've both, you know, um, uh, institutionalized. And so what that helps me with is to realize that even as I look at institutionalization in our own um, church family, uh, to realize that this is not something strange or new. It's part of our human process of rebirthing, um, you know, uh, a new, you know, new, uh, new wine and new wineskins, you know, I think essentially. Um, and that's a difficult thing to grapple with. You know, that's a difficult thing to, to grapple with. Yeah, and it is, I think, because like you say, somewhat, to some extent, I think young people want the vibrant, because that's what it sounds like when the charismatic reform is happening. It feels vibrant. It sounds like there's great success. That's what young people want to be a part of. They don't want to be a part of the brick and mortar, the, the four walls of something, the box kind of situation. We, we all want to kind of spread our wings and fly, for lack of a better analogy, even if it is in a spiritual sense. And so... Um, to hear that it kind of ebbs and flows like that, I can almost understand, you know, why each generation has its own sort of, of reform. Um, and, and on this topic, and we'll kind of go back to a little bit more of, of the church history before we get practical. It, is it possible, James, for an establishment 
that has institutionalized or routinized to re-engage in being uh, kind of reformed as an institution? Or does it have to be kind of a solo dude or persons exiting and then starting something new uh, on a different, in a different space? Yeah, I think, look, I think that's a good question. I think, you know, my, my view on it, and this is just my view, is that um, there's, a, there's a combination. So what happened even with Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation is there was actually what's called a counter-reformation that happened within the Catholic Church. So, you know, the Reformation happened and then the Catholic Church kind of, you know, they, they, there was a response to that. And I think what, you know, what's, what's sometimes called renewal movements, I think, are, um, are very much a part of keeping one's faith and keeping a church family um, repentant, if that makes sense. You know, that, that, you know, in the same way that I as a person can go through a phase where I lose my faith and I, I get into a dogmatic, you know, um, a deeds orientated, just go through the, the motions Christianity. I can bring myself back as a, as a family. I can help and we can help each other get out of a stagnant place into a vibrant place again. We can learn. We can reinterpret our Christianity. We can figure out what's wrong or how we view things differently and how we can repent and and you know and 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 repentance in the bible is actually more of a team sport than an individual sport you know you think of repentance like i need to repent absolutely but if you look at the repentance in the bible it's far more like the group repented the city repented the you know there's a there's a um you know you as a collective need to repent and and i really like that and and so yeah absolutely and and you look at look at even the the revelation churches and and john writing to them and he says listen like you guys are in bad shape yeah i'm about to remove your lampstand you better you know you better repent you better fix these things Mm. fix this lukewarmness so I do think that absolutely, I mean, our call is uh, there's something like weird about like, hey, the church isn't doing so well, so let's start a new church. Like <laughs> there's, a, there's a real problem with that. But, but what I will say is we also can't be so blind that we're not willing to accept at some points, maybe it's once a generation, maybe it's once every two or three generations to accept the need for a new wineskin, you know, uh, and that's where I think we yeah. can't get too held on to church brand names or, you know, this is how we do it. Um, we need to be open to, yeah, we need to be open to, to, to new ideas and the possibility, the possibility of, of, a, of a transformation at a, at, a, at, a, at a core level, you know. Um, and, and, you know, in, in many ways we've seen that and maybe we can talk a little bit about the churches of Christ because in some ways that's what, what happened, you know, that there was a, a reform movement within the campus ministry of the mainline churches of Christ and that eventually became a completely separate entity um, where many left the mainline churches of Christ and many stayed. And to this day, I think you could quite comfortably say that there are many mainline churches of Christ that are healthy and many that are unhealthy, and many international churches of Christ that are healthy and are unhealthy. And, you know, so was it wrong to stay or was it wrong to leave? I don't think that there's a, a right and a wrong there. I think uh, people just needed to, to do what they needed to do at the time. Um, yeah. But it is, a, it is a tricky one, you know, because uh, uh, um, I think, you know, there, there's a, you know, those of us who are inclined towards <laughs> revolution and, and, and um, you know, and, and reform, might be a little bit more inclined to jump ship maybe a little bit too early and others who are very stuck in their ways might be inclined not to see the benefits of the possibilities of a rebirth you know yeah sure yeah i think you know as you as you were sharing that man what what great hope for the church Mm. right meaning for a young person sitting now listening and thinking now, I feel like I'm in an institutionalized church, even whether it's in our fellowship of churches, the ICOC, or in other churches mm. that might hear this, and they might think, man, I feel like, yeah, we've, we've hit the institutionalization moment, the regionalization, it's been, it, we're a little bit stuck. Uh, I think it's encouraging to hear that it's possible that within that, there could be uh, a rebirth, there could be a repentance, a corporate mm. repentance, right? Mm. A, a renewal uh, movement, as you called it, uh, that could happen. Uh, because because I think that's what young people, especially in this modern era, I mean, it's social media and this and that, there's just so much that young people are, uh, and we spoke a little bit about deconstructing people's faith in the previous episode, 
but that that that's happening to us and, mm. and forcing young people to really reconsider their faith but the hope that actually the institution could change yes the institution could be renewed we could all repent and we could realize that man perhaps we've gotten into a dogmatic state and we can move out of that dogmatic state because of man what god is you know able to do in us as a community is i think very encouraging um but then i think you kind of ended on a little bit of a challenge for for young people to figure out when is the right time mm. right how, you know how do you determine uh, your openness level towards the change how do you determine you know those that kind of introspection of am i am i just here until the next great thing or am i here because i'm trying to make the best of of what i believe or where i believe god has called me to which mm-hmm. is you know we can't get into answering that for sure um but i think you touched on it i think it would be great for us to kind of to touch on it so then uh, as a family of churches and the international churches of christ what is kind of our lineage because i know it comes from the reformation but how did we kind of end up where we where we are a little bit Cool. No, good question. So, our, you know, we actually form part of a group that, yes, you know, arguably we can trace our roots back to the Reformation, but actually, uh, we we wouldn't group ourselves as Reformation churches, as Protestant churches. We're actually um, uh, what's what's known as Restoration churches, um, mm-hmm. and you know, this is this is a, um, kind of a, a breakaway slash new um, group that started. Uh, roughly in the the nine uh, the nine um, the eighteen thirties. Uh, let's not get into too much of the, the date detail, but but some of it is is relevant. Um, it was a group that started um, initially as two separate groups, where there were two um, ministers in America. They themselves had European roots, and they both came to similar convictions during a time of um, maybe you can call it spiritual awakening in the church. If you go and Google uh, or look on Wikipedia, you know, the, the Great Awakening, the first, the second Great Awakening, you'll, you'll realize that in America and other parts of the world, there was definitely a sense of um, God is doing something, um, God is doing something here. And there was a, um, a drive towards once again, a break away from the routinization and into a more emotional um, faith. Let's just call it that. Um, and yeah. so, um, so you had these two ministers. One was um, uh, uh, Alexander Campbell and the other was um, uh, Barton Stone. And they developed their own following. They literally broke away and they had a following of, of X many thousand people. And they started to independently preach a message of we must get back to apostolic Christianity. We must stop trying to reform the church back to older versions of the church or um, reform the church. And, and, and we need to get back to what was apostolic Christianity about? What was the first century church uh, uh, all about? And so um, they actually met each other eventually. And uh, there's kind of a, a fair amount of history written on this where they kind of shook hands and they were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to unite our, our efforts here. And that became known as the Stone-Campbell Movement. Um, and uh, uh, they kind of worked together to a certain extent for a period of time. Uh, then, then one of them died and the other carried on for a while. Uh, and that birthed um, what, uh, uh, what we have today as the, the restoration movement. Now, you know, as described with Protestantism and with all of these others, they themselves went through a period of, um, of dividing where there was a uh, you know kind of disagreements on on certain certain things and so uh, you've got groups called the disciples of Christ um the churches of Christ uh and then obviously you know the international churches of Christ and the international christian church and another group the christian church all kind of similar similar roots actually very similar theology in in many ways uh, all connected to stone and campbell um but but you know actually actually act act quite independently and i think you know where where the the connections between them came was the interpretation of the the apostolic church which was that um salvation came at baptism not through baptism or by baptism but at baptism um and uh and so you know that unites the church in terms of you know their understanding of of apostolic christianity uh, and adult baptism as opposed to uh, what they had experienced at the time, which was, um, you know, infant baptism in, in many churches. And then also um, this idea of, um, you know, you're saved by your faith. Um, um, but when that happens, 
um, is when you either accept Jesus or, you know, uh, those kinds of teachings where they're like, no, you're saved by your faith um, at baptism. So that was kind of a unifying theology for them. And then obviously also, you know, as you read, <laughs> as you read through apostolic Christianity in, in the New Testament, um, you know, you can't get away from um, a pursuit of a faith that leads to righteousness, um, and so, you know, this idea of, of, you know, in some ways, a purity of life and a, um, a desire to actually live out your faith um, was, was very much a part of their teaching. But uh, as I said, you know, over time, you know, a, a split, split happened. There was different philosophies, uh, even in, in interpreting that. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of our, our lineage is the restoration movement. And, and it's funny because as much as I can look at weaknesses in our church uh, family and other restoration church families and their own routinization and our own, re- I still, the, 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 the philosophy of restoration Christianity very much resonates with me. I'm all about like, how do we try and um, how do we try and live out a Christianity that Jesus would be would be proud of? Um, and um, yeah, and and that I know I know many you know maybe all churches might claim that, but uh, that that resonates with me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I think that's helpful because because again it frames kind of where we where we come in and how you know our family of churches uh, mm. fit in the midst. And I know uh, all sorts of people listen to the podcast, so I, I do want to be aware that you know maybe you are from a Catholic background or a different type of church background. Mm. This is in no way trying to force anything on you uh, you know there's nothing that we're trying to say uh, good or bad because i think everywhere evidently there's <laughs> when there's humans involved there's hang-ups there's there's just things that aren't, aren't perfect so uh, but but as you know uh, for me as a minister uh, within the churches the international churches of christ it's good for me to know this and i know for many who listen to this podcast it's good for them to know where they come from as well Mm-mm-mm. um and so maybe as we transition into kind of, you know, practically what this all means, kind of church life for, for young people, um, there's a couple words that I, I want to throw at you and if you could just give us brief definitions and maybe even uh, perspectives of where they come from as churches uh, before we dive into that. Because uh, we've spoken about restoration uh, churches, then, then there's uh, something called charismatic churches. Yes. Uh, what, what, is, what does that kind of mean? What, what, is there, what is that definition? Yeah, what does that look like? So look, you know, uh, I mean, you know, there, there's there's different terms for this idea of kind of charismatic Christianity. Um, uh, you know, Pentecostalism, uh, you know, kind of falls, you know, falls into into that kind of that that definition. And essentially, you know, I would describe them as you know as as later developments in um, in Protestant um, you know in Protestant thinking. Uh, and if you really want to kind of go go to the roots, um, you know, we're talking about 20th century. So we're talking about, you know, just over 100 years ago. So this is not, you know, the, this is fairly modern, you know, a fairly modern development in, in, in Christianity. Um, but, you know, there, there was this, um, these periods, uh, going back to kind of American history, these periods of revival, um, and, and this is going all the way back to Barton Stone and, and Alexander Campbell, um, with this idea of reform and and you know there 's more of an emotional connection with God, and I think as humanity there, there was a lot of there was a lot of that happening just in the world in general, if you look at literature over the last five hundred years but um, but an art and et cetera et cetera but you know so you had these kind of these revival movements, and there was one in particular um, that, that that's fairly well known and kind of connected to this this Pentecostal um, charismatic um, uh, 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 shift that happens, uh, and that was in um, Azusa Street, kind of the Azusa. You can go look it up, Azusa Street revival, nineteen oh six, and it was very much connected to the idea of um, a a Holy Spirit that manifests itself in far more physical ways, far more physical ways, um, and so you know. Um, uh, uh, things like um, uh, miraculous signs of some sorts, uh, things like, um, you know, kind of being slain in the spirit, being, you know, falling down, convulsing and passing out, um, you know, feeling the physical presence of the spirit knocking you over. Those are all, um, you know, ideas that are, are, are connected. And so, you know, theologically, it's very similar to a lot of your main 
Protestant ways of thinking in terms of how salvation happens and praying Jesus into your heart and accepting. But the, the, the vibrance of um, the emotional um, energy that, that transcends and translates into kind of physical feelings of euphoria, um, uh, uh, etc., um, you know, uh, uh, became incredibly popular. I mean, it is the, the fastest growing movement in Christianity today. I mean, over the last hundred years, there literally, um, you know, been, been um, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of millions of people who have taken on this form of Christianity. And there's no central authority so, you know, uh, Pentecostalism, the charismatic movement doesn't have a central authority. It's, it's you know, uh, many hundreds, you know, in the region, uh, you know, I would say of most probably around 700 um, independent, mostly, um, you know, church groupings um, mm-hmm. that adhere to this, um, you know, this, this emphasis of a, of a personal experience, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, and, you know, this, this kind of this manifestation, miraculous manifestation in things like divine healings, speaking in, in you know, in tongues, uh, etc. So, yeah, a, a huge movement. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that, that helps. So, and, and then what about uh, evangelicalism or evangelicals? What is what is that? Yeah, so um, you know, I think that uh, uh, also also a um, also it's it's funny. Uh, you know, I think with with uh, with people asking questions about complicated church history, I, I have my own um, methods to try and explain it. And for me, my understanding of evangelical Christianity is um, that it's 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 part of the Protestant movement. It's not quite as charismatic as the charismatic movement, you know. So, um, but it's it's not it's it's full somewhere, um, um, you know. Obviously, in a, a a little bit more free than the the Catholic kind of traditional movement. So it kind of, um, you know, there's kind of it's it's a little bit it's a little bit of an in between. And so, uh, and in many ways, I think the feel of our church is similar to the feel. Of maybe an evangelical church, um, so the you know uh, possibly in, in the, the way we sing, um, um, the the kinds possibly of sermons that you would hear, um, you know the formality of church services, you know. So I, we we're not uh, an evangelical church. We don't prescribe to kind of the Protestant theology. We're a rest, restoration church, but the the feel of the churches might actually be quite um, might actually be quite similar. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, and, and uh, uh, you know, there's, there's various, if you go to a Baptist church, if you go to an evangelical church, you, you, you know, you, you're kind of feeling the same thing. The theology is kind of similar. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it helps because some of these are the names that, you know, as someone hears, you know, as someone hears church news, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there's a lot of these sorts of words thrown out there. And as, as, as we meet people, um, it's just good for us to know, man, maybe some of the some of the definitions for some of these terms, because people uh, will ask or people will say that this is what they believe. And, and it kind of helps us to have a bit of a background. Yes. Uh, but I definitely want to transition here into kind of, OK, so so this all of this stuff has gone on. I mean, this is we're talking hundreds of years, about 2000 years of history um, and not to write it off. I think important for us to know. And I think, you know, you you've you've expressed it and shared it very uh, well with us. So I'm very grateful for your time, James. Uh, but but I do want to transition to, okay, so so what is the role, what is the actual purpose of the church? If we if we look from a biblical perspective, what is the purpose of the church? Mm, mm, mm. I mean, that's, um, yeah, that's a powerful question. Um, that's a powerful question. And I guess, you know, if I, if I wanted to try and bring um, my own thinking of it down to a, a kind of first principles, if that makes sense. Um, I see it as um, as us being um, obviously the the family of God, the uh, kind of a faith community, a faith family of God that um, that has a purpose of um, bearing God's image um, into the world around us. Um, and by that, I don't mean um, in a um, in the sense converting people. Um, I mean that in the sense of of how we live our lives. Um, 
And, you know, and that has, you know, that has an, 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 a number of aspects to it. Um, the one aspect is as a faith community, there's an aspect of the church which cannot be separated from one's relationship with God. Um, so there's, there's kind of a, a collective and an individual element of, um, you know, this is, this is about God and not about the organization, not about us. There's an aspect of that, which is it's about the family and the community and loving one another um, and being close. And, and, and um, you know, there's, there's that, that aspect. Um, and then there's a, there's a third aspect, which is around, um, you know, being, um, being a light to the world. And um, God created the, 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 the heavens and the earth. And when we are um, in communion with him and in communion with others that are... Um, also in communion with him, um, there should be a light that shines. I mean, if we are God's people and God created the world, there should be something attractive, something um, wonderful, something inspiring. And I think, you know, that, that um, there should be a natural translation into um, drawing people, uh, drawing people, drawing people towards, towards God through our, you know, our message, through our lives, uh, uh, etc. And so, yeah, I think, I think there's, you know, uh, at, a, at, a, at a fundamental level, um, I would say that, but, but at a practical level, that, that also plays out uh, in different ways. And, I, you know, I think that the idea of, you know, um, we are ministers, um, uh, you know, I think a minister is, is someone who uses um, their gifts to serve God. Now, that's, that, that should be every disciple, right? Uh, you know, uh, yeah. using our gifts to serve God. That's not like a paid thing or a not paid thing or, or what have you. And I think, you know, I like that because I feel like what is, what is my job is I need to use what God has given me to serve Him. Now, that's, that's like a blank sheet of paper there um, because what, yeah. is, what is serving Him? What is not serving Him? Well, that that changes depending on circumstance, depending on life stage, depending on where you live, depending on what generation you're in, what country. I mean, it's just you know that that that's open open season. And so you know where where I've seen that play out, possibly in my own life. If I had to look in twenty years of of of, of being a, a disciple and being a part of the International Churches of Christ, I'd say, man, there were periods when people were thirsty for God around me. And for yeah. me, my act of service was to open the Bible and to, to help them and to, to share the, the scriptures with them and to, you know, and, and to baptize them. And it was a very exciting time. But then there's also been times in my life where, man, no one around me seems to <laughs> give two hoots about God. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, this is difficult. But, you know, but then, but then you know, I've, I've had to find that my, my source of service doesn't come possibly from the, you know, from the, the reaching out and from the, the studying the Bible with people, but it comes from other places, other acts of service. And I think a danger is when we try and define our role too narrowly. What is the purpose of the church? What is my purpose as a disciple? What should we or shouldn't we be doing? I think we need to have big open hearts and big wide open ears and allow the spirit and allow God to guide us into where it is that, that we should be going. And so, yeah, I think, I think, you know, a big part of the church's job is to listen, <laughs> to be humble, to pray for humility, and to be, yeah. and to be willing to, 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 to respond to God's call. So if God's call is, man, there's a physical need, there are poor people in our community that need help, then, then that's, that's our purpose. If there are people who are thirsting for God and they need someone to show them the scriptures, then, you know, then that's our purpose. If we're going through a difficult time and there's many, you know, um, emotional and mental health challenges in our, uh, you know, then, boy, then that's our mission. We, you know, we need to be adaptable to, to what is the voice of God saying. And uh, I found that very difficult because when I was baptized, there were other people getting baptized and it felt like we just need to be out there baptizing um, and, and I think, I think, you know, I think we need to be ready and we need to have our, you know, our, 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 you know, an analogy I like to use is, you know, we need to have our surfboards ready to surf, but you cannot make the wave. God makes the wave, you know, and, and I think as, as a church, we need to have our surfboards ready for whatever wave comes our way, but we aren't the ones that make the waves. We need to listen. We need to be open to what waves God sends our way. Sure. Yeah, and I, I love that you kind of put it in that framework of, of you know, it's kind of 
our individual but collective relationship with God results in our individual and collective relationships with one another that results in our individual and collective relationships with those who are outside of this family of God. And, and that, you know, like you say, it doesn't always mean adding people to that number. Uh, sometimes it's just simply being able to, to be whatever God would have been for this person. And if they're hungry and actually physically thirsty, then feeding and helping them get something to drink is way more powerful than have you heard of Jesus, you know, yeah. like, and that could come, but, but that's probably not the only thing that needs to be done. Um, and of course, I think, you know, as, as we live in a modern day world, uh, that even that context for community just feels and looks very different to what it might have looked like in a Jerusalem mm-hmm. 2000 odd years mm-hmm. ago, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's just so much that has changed. And, uh, and I won't, um, you know, I won't attack you or kind of uh, come at the side with, with the whole digital church question, because uh, I think that, you know, there's a huge question mark around how that should work. Mm. Um, but, but where I do want to go is kind of, you've spoken about this role of us living in community, uh, but then the scriptures have uh, this idea of authority in the church. Mm. And what we've seen over the years is that, you know, there was, and you just we've discussed this together, that there were seasons of great uh, use of that quote-unquote authority and in bad times of use of that quote-unquote authority Mm. Uh, and we've already discussed that young people tend to be anti-establishment and anti-authority is Mm. is very popular especially today Mm. Uh, one because we've seen so many church leaders fall Mm. Uh, i mean that just the amount of church to or meet to in the church kind of Mm. movements that have come out of the church is scary Mm. and so i don't want to you know diminish that but at the same time i want to ask there's clearly a biblical call for for leadership and authority within the church so so how does one uh, figure that out. How do, mm. how do we navigate that as, as people today as mm. we need to be in community and in these kind of church mm. fellowships? So look, I mean, my, my personal take is that, um, that we as people almost always misuse authority. <laughs> and that, that's inside and outside of the church. We're just bad. We're just not good at, at, at authority. We tend to abuse it. Um, and mankind in general is guilty of that. And, and I also speak very specifically about mankind. I think men um, have abused their, their physical strength um, for generations, you know, uh, forever uh, um, uh, uh, in the way that, that, that um, you know, they've elevated themselves above, above women. And, uh, you know, there's, there's multiple examples of, 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 of authority. But I think where, where I am at the moment on this is I see leadership as as service and as soon as leadership ceases to be service then i think there's there's a problem uh, and you know you look at jesus you know he was quite clear on you know not lording it over that um, as soon as there's a scenario where um, leadership becomes a authority to manipulate an authority to um, you know to coerce um, it's it's problematic but you know i do believe in leadership and in some form of organization i think um you know any healthy any healthy family has some organization but it can easily become unhealthy organization if one's not careful and so you know um uh, do i arrange for my kids to sit around the table at dinner absolutely um it's an act of service now you know are there times when sometimes that's not going to work out Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, so the, the authority to pull the kids around the table is there to serve us and to serve them that they can grow up in a healthy environment. Um, but, you know, if, if that becomes, if my authority is that I enforce that through fear and I enforce that through manipulation, then there's a problem. Uh, you know, the means doesn't justify the end there. Um, and I think in church, if I look at my role as a family group leader, I feel like I'm the leader, absolutely. But man, I'm serving. I'm serving the group. I'm organizing um, discussions. I mean, you know what it's like. It's, it's, it's an act of service. I mean, when, when you get asked to preach, of course, you know, maybe there's a part of you that, you know, man, amen, I love preaching the word and I hope so because it is a great privilege and it's an honor. But man, it's also hours and 
hours and hours of preparation. It's like, man, and then, you know, the yeah. people come and listen to the sermon and they're like, hey, good sermon, you know. They, you know but but it's, a, it's an act of service um, for me to um, uh, plan things for our family group and organize meetings where, yes, we discuss, we, we collectively come up with ideas, but there's still a point person and pulling it together. And that, that, in my mind, is an act of service. It's not an authoritative position. And so, yeah, I, I see it that um, uh, uh, when, when my leaders are, are serving and when I, as a leader, serve through a gift set of leadership, uh, I think that everyone wins. The, the danger is when that authority um, ceases to come from service. Uh, and it comes from control, and it comes from fear, and it comes from other places. Um, so yeah, I think that would be that would be my world view. And I think it's um, um, yeah, I think there's um, there's sorry, I'm getting a, a, a knock at the door here. Um, there's a um, yeah, and I think there's 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 something to wrestle with there, even as you look at the life of Jesus, as you know, as he led. Um, he was also the greatest servant and, and called those around him to be a great servant. But, yeah, I think uh, we've, we've, many of us have got a strange relationship with authority. I think um, sometimes when someone does lead, even through service, um, those of us that have got a strange relationship with authority might take it personally or, 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 you know. And then I think also those in authority can sometimes get drunk on power and can abuse it. So I think everyone just needs to be careful and we all need to hold each other accountable and all try and create, um, you know, create an environment where um, leadership and authority are things that are um, there to serve the church um, and serve God and not to replace him as a, as a source of authority. Yeah. Do you need to take that? Um, I'm not even, it's not even my door. So I don't even think it's, I don't even think it's, no, let's just, let's just carry on here. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, so so I think that that helps a lot. I think that even just for each person to kind of assess what do you view, how do you view authority? Mm. Uh, why are you pushing back up against authority? I think is important. Um, but also to recognize people are people. Mm. Uh, I have to keep telling myself that and I need to keep telling you know people that. That you know even as I play a role full-time in the ministry, I won't be perfect. Mm. I won't be able to fulfill everything that you may perceive mm. as what I should perceive as, mm. as I should be doing in the ministry. Mm. You know, and I think uh, it's very freeing when you say that, but it's also very challenging when you think about man the, the goal and the hope and the the role is service, mm. right? That that it's I'm just trying my best to serve people around me, even through you know podcast preaching the word, dinners, lunches, get-togethers, you know, whatever the case may be. It's it's man. This is also that somehow God is glorified and, and everything is pointed uh, back towards him. And so I think it's important for people to, to, to kind of process that and internalize some of that uh, and figure out where, they, where it is that they land on that. Yeah. Um, can I maybe just add, can I add one, one thought to that? Also, you know, if any of the listeners are between, let's just say, 13 and 23, also understand what's happening in your mind and in your body and in your environment. There is a natural process that happens from uh, in the transition from a child to an adult where you have to separate yourself from your family and you might still rely on them financially and what have you but physiologically and emotionally you're starting your own life that is separate from that of your parents and of your guardians and that separation is incredibly traumatic for you and for them and that's why teenagerhood tends to have so many conflicts tied to it because, um, because of the separation as you stop seeing your parents as your ultimate authority and you start looking for reference groups elsewhere. And the natural place to look is hopefully in some way to God and to develop your own faith in God aside from your parents, which is important. Mm -hmm. But also you go and look for it in other, other places, for example, your peers and other reference groups, you know, uh, uh, um, and, and, you know, kind of icons, etc. And And what that does, though, is it, it, it creates an awkward relationship with authority during those mm -hmm. years. And I think, you know, to be able to be mature enough as you go through it to say, listen, I'm by nature kicking against authority because it is part of my natural progression into adulthood. But I need to understand that some authority and some structure in my life is there to help me. Any boundary feels bad. Anytime yeah. someone says to you, no, it feels bad. 
even if it's the right thing, even if it's there to help you. And so, you know, especially during those teenage into early adulthood years, I think to be aware of the fact that, you know, there, there is a part of you that kicks against authority, a natural part, but not to necessarily make every authority figure your enemy. Uh, it's the, they are, many of them are there to, to serve you as well and to be able to differentiate. Yeah, sure. I think that's, I think that's so good because... Uh, one, I think I read something recently that adulthood is taking longer and longer to come in. So I might even push that 23 that you mentioned out to maybe 26, 27, 28. Yeah. Um, cause there's a lot of studies showing that we just, because of some of the, the way that society is now structured, we're maturing to that full adulthood as known before much later as people, which is crazy to, to think of, to think that that's kind of the progression that's happening. I would have thought it would be the other way around. Um, but I think it's super helpful for people to consider that, you know, maybe I'm in that, in that space of pushing up against authority. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily the best decision for me. Um, but, but you, you made me kind of come up with a question that that's not necessarily on the question that I sent you. Um, but how, Maybe there's someone, one person who's listening here who is ministering and, and kind of leading or, you know, parenting even uh, young people and their faith. What are some things that you think would help them in terms of, um, man, this child is pushing up against the authority, but we still have to be the authority. We still, mm. we still have to, you know, conduct church. We still have to conduct family life, whatever the person that's listening might, might, might think of it as uh, in, a, in a way that's going to help them in the future. What are some tips that you might have to kind of helping in that space? So one thing I will say um, absolutely unequivocally is, is, could you ask me that question in 10 years' time? Exactly. My kids are just entering teenagerhood and uh, I must say it's, it's exhausting and I have no answers for you, but uh, I have been involved in youth ministry for, for 20 years. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, I think, you know, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the principles that I think helps is um, uh, in general, and this is for, for parenting in general, but I think it does apply to this, is every child is different. Um, and, um, and so you need, to, you need to apply huge amounts of wisdom to your specific child and your specific situation. Um, there is much wisdom around you if you're just humble enough to ask. Uh, and also there's an element of weathering the storm as well. You know, uh, mm. I think that um, it's, a, it's a difficult period for them. It's a difficult period for you. Um, but, um, you know, staying emotionally connected, even through the storms, um, is important because uh, you're going to disagree. Um, you're going you're gonna to hurt each other. You're going to say things that you, you know, say things to your parents that um, are very hurtful uh, to them um, and, and vice versa. And, and, and just to, to fight, fight for the relationship. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I heard some great advice a while ago and, and it also helped me to, to objectify some of this. You know, part of the reason why you as a young person don't want to tell your parents what's going on at school and in your life is number one, uh, they take it very personally because they love you. Uh, and, sure. you know, telling someone who loves you very much hurtful things, you know, it, it, it's very scary. And the second thing yeah. is they're the ones that make the rules in the house. And so if you tell them about how much your friends are drinking um, uh, or, or, or what they're doing at school, um, you know, there's a fear that, that, that your parents will then cut you off from those friends and you don't want that to happen. And so, you know, there's yeah. a natural, there's a, there are natural forces um, against the relationship. Um, but if you're able to see that and talk about it openly, um, it, it allows you to, to see it objectively. I mean, you know, as a, as a family, we talk about our hormones and our moods all the time. It's like, listen, you know, this is, this is you know, and, and, and even, you know, yeah, to the point where, you know, our kids are able to then say, I'm feeling this way because I'm feeling, I'm having mood swings. You know, it's not yeah. a reality. It's a mood swing. Um, and that's, that's, that's helpful, you know, to be able to have the, that kind of communication. But it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a difficult, <laughs> it's a difficult time. It's a difficult time. So yeah, I'll, uh, I'll check in with you in 10 years time. Sounds good. Sounds good. No, it is. I mean, you know, having transitioned myself as a young person in, in the church and in the family, uh, very interesting to go through. And then, like you say, being able to work with young people as well. 
uh, is super helpful in kind of realizing, wow, this is what's going on. This is what we're seeing. Uh, so I appreciate, I appreciate your few words of, of wisdom, uh, even though you feel, you feel unqualified to kind of give that as an answer. Um, I do want to kind of bring us to a landing here as we, you know, kind of run out of time, uh, slash want to respect your time. Um, and what, how we, how we normally end off and, and, and last, last episode, we kind of ended off with, with book recommendations, uh, mm. which if you're listening to this, this episode of the podcast will, will come at the end of this in a, in a, in a different kind of small snippet that, that we'll record. Uh, but, but for the ending of this kind of conversation, uh, James, I would, I'd love for you to kind of, um, have the last word and what you would like to say to young people to help them uh, to thrive in life as well as in their faith, but specifically and particularly when it comes to this idea of them engaging in the church, mm-hmm. them, them giving their whole heart to the church. Because uh, there's this idea of individual spirituality that's just rampant at the moment. I mean, I think, you know, we've said enough to say, no, the, the church is part of the parcel. It's part mm-hmm. of the, the, the situation that you have to deal with. Uh, so what would you like to say, James, to young people to help them thrive in life as well as in their faith? as well as in their faith, excuse me, particularly when it comes to engaging in the local church? Yeah, I mean, it's a, sure. Um, I think one, one, one thing to say would, would just be, um, you know, that, that if you are feeling things or you're seeing things or you're observing things that bug you, uh, there's a good chance that it's not the first time that it's happened. And throughout, you know, throughout, you know, the life of, um, you know, the Christian church, throughout, um, you know, uh, people's spiritual lives, they're, 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 there's, there's, there's tough things, there's bad things, there's things that need to be fixed. And sometimes they don't fix so quickly. Um, and so not to be surprised when you see bad things. Um, you know, the, the church is made up of very sinful people and the, the forces at play are bigger than the individuals. You know, routinization, it's a, it's a force bigger than the individuals. And, um, you know, to be able to look and to say, okay, you know, there's things that I like, there's things that I don't like, um, but I can't allow my circumstances to take away from the fact that, um, you know, I, I can pursue um, a love for God and a love for people in spite of what's going on around. Um, and, and, you know, my nature, and I'm sure many of yours, you know, is you want to use bad circumstance as a reason to give up, as a reason to act out, as a reason to lose faith. And I think, you know, that, that world of kind of allowing yourself to be a victim um, is a powerful, powerful temptation. And I think to, to really fight to overcome that. Uh, and I love it in the Bible when there's, there's talk of remnants, you know, that things were really bad, but there's still those that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. I love that in, in the story of Elijah. I mean, it's, it's powerful. And, yeah. and I always, I love that because I'm like, man, you know, no matter how many people are bowing to Baal, I don't have to, you know. Uh, if people's hearts have grown cold, mine doesn't have to, you know. Uh, uh, and um, and I think to be able to to be able to really fight for that, that I am um, uh, I am able to overcome adversity um, through through my faith in God and 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 by having um, uh, loving people around me. And um, yeah, and I, and I think you know from from then on, I think one's ability to listen to what the Spirit is calling for you to do. Uh, becomes a lot easier uh, because you have that grounding in reality and you're not allowing circumstances to hurt you. So, yeah, I guess that would be that would be an, an encouragement because I think looking back at church history and at any point in time looking at your current church situation, it is going to be very easy to criticize um, just because yeah. we're, we're not perfect. And I think to be able to um, and at some point, if, if you know, uh, yeah, if, if it means a radical decision, if it means moving city, I mean, you've moved cities, you know, it's like, these are not, these are not easy decisions. If it means moving congregations, sometimes it's like, you know, one, one needs to, one needs to approach it with a deep sense of spirituality and deep sense of, of humility. Uh, but, you know, sometimes those things are, are the best moves and sometimes they're the worst. And, and, and I can't give those answers that, that you need to take between you and God and you need to then own it as well. Mm-hmm. Amen. James Lutterman, it's been, as you say, Dr. James Lutterman, it has been a great joy and a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Shame uh, on you for these last two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to plug, I had to put it in there. Uh, 
But yeah, thank you so much, James. Really appreciate uh, your your life, your study, your your hard work and dedication to these, especially the topic of, that we've spoken through today. Um, but more importantly, to God and his and his family. And uh, yeah, just so grateful that we, we were able to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Amen. Thanks, Remo. Thanks for having me, and thanks everyone. So the ever-elusive reading list. Uh, there are obviously so many books to read on church history, on Christianity in general. Uh, here are just some suggestions. And uh, if you asked me a month ago, if you asked me in a month's time, my list might even change. But I thought, let me just leave you with some to think about. Uh, I think, first of all, um, a great resource is Church History in Plain Language. Uh, I love reading um, church history, and some of it can get a little bit tedious and complicated. Uh, and so I find Church History in Plain Language, there is a fourth edition by Bruce Shelley, uh, is a great, uh, great, great read. Uh, so that's a nice place to start if you're wanting to get into, uh, into church history. I'm going to throw this in because it's not a church history book per se, but it, it will help you um, in general. If you haven't read it yet, it's like on my must-read list. Uh, it's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Fee and Stewart. Uh, and it's like a total staple. Uh, if you haven't read it, uh, I feel like you have to you have to read it. It just will help your interpretation of the Bible tremendously and help you um, not make many um, uh, mistakes that are easy to make for those of us in the 21st century reading a book uh, that was written 2,000 years ago in a very different culture, a very different form of literature. Um, for those who are interested in kind of that early um, church father, the anti-Nicene father period, it's a nice resource available by David Bursot or Burkott uh, called A Dictionary of Early Christian Beliefs. Very nice resource. It's kind of it's a dictionary. You can look up different topics and then it shows you what different um, early Christian um, thinkers had to say about those topics. So it's kind of after the apostles and um, before Constantine. Uh, and it's a really nice resource because you, you, you really get to see how Christianity was already evolving quite quickly during that time. Uh, and yet there's many fundamentals that uh, that still stand. Then if you're wanting to look at the kind of the history of the International Churches of Christ, I would actually suggest looking at a book that explores the history of the mainline churches of Christ, uh, just because it gives you a lot more depth into where we came from over the last 150 or, or what have you, 180 years. Uh, and a, a book I would recommend there is called Reviving the Ancient Faith. Uh, and that's by Richard Hughes. Great, great resource uh, and really kind of helps you helps you understand a little bit more about uh, the International Churches of Christ and where they fit into the mainline churches. So you won't actually learn a lot about the International Churches of Christ. Uh, there's only a small little section on that. Uh, but what you will see is uh, is really kind of the, the roots. Uh, then there's a book that's very difficult to get hold of. But if you can get hold of it, it um, can be useful. Uh, it's called an, an Anthology of African Christianity. Uh, and I know we spoke a little bit about that in the podcast, uh, just how uh, much of the narrative of church history we see through a Western lens. Uh, and this gives a view on uh, how did Christianity develop. And it really goes from country to country, which is, which is great. So you can literally go and find a country and look at how Christianity developed in that particular uh, space. And as you know, Africa is a very um, rich, diverse continent, uh, and each each country, each region has its own story. So Anthology of African Christianity, and it was edited by Piri, Vanna, Kaunda, and Owino. Uh, and like I said, not easy to get hold of, but um, but if you can get hold of it, uh, it's a nice, uh, a nice resource. And then I'm going to throw this one in just because it's a little bit out of left field, but such a great, uh, such a great read. Uh, if you are interested in history, uh, is called Jerusalem, the biography uh, by an author called Simon Seabag Montefiore. And uh, you can get it in, in exclusive books. And what I really love about this is it's a it basically it's a, a big book 
uh, uh, just talking about Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a fascinating, fascinating city, and it's an ancient city. But as you look at the history of Jerusalem, you get to experience it through the lens of Judaism into Christianity and uh, through the Crusades, um, uh, uh, looking at the influence of Islam. Um, and and um, yeah, it's just a fascinating view on the history of Christianity uh, through a very, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's from a, a little bit of a side view, but it's a really great read, uh, especially if you are interested in, in, um, in history. And also if you are hoping one day to actually go and visit Jerusalem, uh, which is certainly a worthwhile dream to have. Uh, so those are just some, some books. Uh, I, I'm going to indulge and just throw one, one more in that, that's really impacted me over the last couple of years. Uh, and that's a book by N.T. Wright uh, called The Day the Revolution Began. Uh, it really, if I had to think of books that have really impacted my theology and my thinking about Christianity and moving away from Western thinking, um, uh, this book has just been, been absolutely revolutionary. Um, uh, excuse the pun. So the day the revolution began, N.T. Wright, um, uh, he's a great, uh, great author. Uh, and uh, there's some really deep and, and powerful stuff there. So hope that helps and always happy to engage if you want to reach out to me uh, at any time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. For more thought-provoking conversations, subscribe to the Rima Klale Life and Faith Podcast. Please like, review, and share so that we can continue to help others thrive in their life as well as in their faith.